It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh! Wonderful shot by Lennox Lewis. A right hand by Holyfield. By Boston Dodgers. Look at this. He's knocked by Tyson down for the first time in his career. But unfortunately, it'll never happen. Crunch! Punches! I think it's going to be over. I have been trouble against the ropes. I have to say, there seems an element of genuine hate between these two, Ambrose. For sure. I don't hate the man. Just imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Frank. You can stop it any time. Castillo's in trouble. Weak steps in, and the fight is over. Oh! Welcome back to the Legendary Nights Podcast After Show. I'm your host, Sean, and I'm joined, as always, by Luke for another episode discussing the most recent tale released on the Legendary Nights Podcast feed. This tale was all about the great Joe Lewis versus Billy Conn in what was a brilliant, brilliant fight and one that I personally really enjoyed going back and watching, researching, understanding more about who Billy Conn was and his lineage and his achievements in this sport, whilst also thinking about a few comparisons of, of the modern day era and what this fight, you know, probably would have been like in, in today's era and how it would have been perceived on social media. And as always, Lukey, we have these great conversations around the impact of, of fights in time and the significance and comparisons of the modern day era, of course. So, I'm going to hand this over to you first and foremost because I want to get your take of what you thought about the episode, what you learned, what you didn't already know about this saga between these two and the sort of lasting impact that looking back on this has left for you. Well, um, I always credit my boxing stuff to two. Well, really, it starts with my grandfather and then it goes into... OG Bobby Warren and Herb Stone. Herb more so, but Herb was kind of my mentor and raised me up. Uh, ironically, around the time Andy Foster took 
and I swear this is going somewhere, so I'm not just saying words. Andy Foster took over California State Athletic Commission. There was Herb Stone, Don Chargin, but Herb took a liking to me and helped put me into boxing and kind of teach me what boxing was. Another figure, um, one of the Oakland boxing's spiritual leaders was OG Bobby Warren, who was Virgil Hunter's coach. And me and OG Bobby Warren became very close. Um, and he recently passed away last year, and it was very sad. Um, we called him the library because he remembered everything. So OG Bobby, whenever I'd see him, would go, like, I'd be like, what do you think of this fighter? And go, he ain't Joe Lewis. So Joe Lewis was OG Bobby's favorite fighter ever. And he gave me a 1964 Ring magazine to look through. And I remember he pointed out this fight with a small um, description of what happened. So this fight stands out to me based on OG Bobby at King's Gym in East Oakland telling me about the great Joe Lewis and these fights. So these fights with Billy Conn, when I look at the modern day era and I think about like what I could compare it to in terms of maybe its significance, uh, the variables around them being technically in different weight categories with obviously Billy Conn coming up in weight to fight Joe Lewis and being a heavyweight, like heavyweight champion. It's It reminds me very much of a Canelo versus Dimitri Bivol affair with, you know, Canelo obviously daring to be great and stepping up to, from, from sort of super middleweight to light heavyweight to challenge you know, one of the guys at light heavyweight in Dimitri Bivol and, you know, the bigger guy beating the smaller guy, Bivol beating Canelo. And for a period of time in the Lewis Conn fight, Billy Conn, he had that heavyweight championship secured and then he made the mistake of getting too greedy with what he was doing in the ring. And as a result, and as the episode explains to you, Joe Lewis found his opportunity and does what Joe Lewis did which was to end the fight significantly and get that fantastic victory. And the fight itself is revered by so many boxing historians. The great Nat Fleischer always spoke about this being one of the best fights of all time. There are still people around today that can remember their inspirations, as you're rightly pointing out, Luke, for boxing. And a lot of people do talk about Joe Lewis and how good of a a heavyweight he was but I think because we live in a different time and a different era and the facilitation of social media and, and these digital libraries so to speak that you can find these days I, I don't think people maybe appreciate Joe Lewis as much as what they should do I know there's a lot of historians a lot of people like me and you out there Lukey that do absolutely we, we, we realize his significance in this sport but I don't think there's there's a lot of your casual viewers that will, will, will maybe they'll hear Joe Lewis's name and go, oh yeah, he was a heavyweight champion, you know, during this period of time, but they don't really realize how good of a fighter he was. And when we did this episode, me and Johnston, what we realized was that Joe Lewis was a fighter that got better and better and better over time. And in particular, when he had rematches with certain fighters in his career, he just always seemed to be better in that second fight than he was in that first fight looking at what you know about Joe Lewis's career looking at this particular first fight with Billy Conn and how he was Lewis was kind of bullied around the ring a little bit and found his opportunity and took it what do you think it was about Joe Lewis that made him the fighter that he that he was where he was able to just get so much better in those second outings against certain individuals so you have the misfortune or the great pleasure 
of bringing up a fighter I've talked a lot about with people in the gym of Joe Lewis. And, and to answer your question quickly, I think that there's some people in sports that when they have the ball or they have a glove on their hand, we just know they're going to win, you know? And I think to sum it up very um, unintelligent or not with a lot of words, he was one of those guys that even if he was down or something, you just believed Joe Lewis was going to win. And I think part of that was he's the most fundamentally sound heavyweight, in my opinion, ever the sport has ever seen. You can still teach the way he moved his uh, feet to any form of boxer from a novice featherweight to a heavyweight. He was that good. And, and oftentimes heavyweight is guy that punches hard but has a lot of flaws. Awesome. A uh, guy that punches hard but has a lot of flaws. And that wasn't the case with uh, Joe Lewis. Now, I always looked at guys in the modern era that kind of reminded me of Lewis, and people will chuckle. Like a guy like Irish Mike Perez was around my area for a while, and he had about the same build as Joe Lewis. But there's that unquantifiable thing, right? Like, why is Terrence Crawford so great? There's a lot of guys that have some of his abilities, but it's the dog. It's the willingness to fight through it. It's the difference between Terrence Crawford and, and Adrian Broner. They both have elite attributes, but one just maximizes it. So to say a lot of words and to sum it up, Lewis knew how to get the most out of his potential. And that's what made him so great to me. And we're looking at an era of time where the fight tours in that weight class and the subsequent weight classes were, they were smaller than what we see for an average fighter in certain divisions today. When you look at a a heavyweight, you're looking at sort of six four, six five upwards, whereas back in those days, these guys were scaling, just about scaling cruiserweight, and it was like a cruiserweight fighting a light heavyweight, effectively, with Joe Lewis versus Billy Conn, and I think what I applaud more is, is the willingness of Billy Conn to be able to know his his career started out the way he did and it wasn't fantastic but the way he was able to overcome and adapt and become a better fighter for that and ultimately win the light heavyweight championship and decide that you know one day I'm going to beat this Joe Lewis and ultimately he was on the verge of doing it the reason we focus so much on the first affair is because that was when I believe both of these fighters were at their as close as their prime as they were going to be of course, the Second World War and America's involvement in the Second World War would would hamper the rematch, as well as an incident with Billy Conn's father-in-law as well, Greenfield Jimmy, as we mentioned in the story. You know, that scuppered a, a rematch happening, and the war came along for, the, for America and Americans, and it just hampered the opportunity of this fight happening when it really should have done uh, in, in, in its second outing, and instead it happens, what, a near five years later, and... Both fighters are clearly not the same at that point, but it was quite evident that Billy Conn's skills had eroded more than what Joe Lewis's had. So that second outing between them, it, was, it wasn't it was as good as the first. It was a drab affair. And sometimes rematches, as we know, Luke, it can, can go that way. And there's, there's very few rematches where you can sit there and honestly say that they always end up being better than the first fight. And there's only very few instances where that, that has really happened and this was another example of it was, wasn't was as good because these two guys had had to go on services within 
the army to be able to help the troops and put their war effort in there and all their skills are eroded so by the time the second fight comes around there's just not the same fighters anymore and even when you look at joe lewis's career at this point you'd think ah, maybe it's time to to call it a day but of course he doesn't and, and we know the rest is history we know that he goes on and you know he has to basically fight to pay his taxes and and, and that's the problem and of course we will do a career profile on him at some point down the line and you know, we'll document all this in its entirety. But for those that do have knowledge of Joe Lewis, of course, you'll know his story and you'll know why he went on so long in his career. But I'm trying to get to a roundabout point with this conversation, which is the rematch and how the difficulties of, of life, the Second World War, incidents involving disgruntled father-in-laws prevented us from potentially getting what would have been a, a fantastic rematch. And Maybe, just maybe, we could have seen something completely different. But when you look back on it now and you've heard the conversation, you've heard the podcast, you've heard the tale of Joe Lewis and Billy Conn, Lukey, what do you ultimately put it down to with both of these guys when they came into that second fight? Is it a case of the skills just eroded because they were, weren't training the way they were once training, they were distracted by what was going on in the world and the Second World War and they were going around doing all these different things to, to help out with the services? Or do you think it was something else? I mean, I think that the answer to this question is kind of like, why do guys quit when their jaw's broken? We often set the Pauli Malignaggi and Arthur Abraham standard of, oh, you got to fight through a broken jaw rather than you got his jaw broken in a fight and he decided not to. You might say, why am I bringing up a broken jaw to a rematch? I think the issue to me is uh, sometimes guys just have one amazing performance in them. And I think we hold a lot of fighters to why aren't fighters great every single night? Why aren't they great for five years? We often hold fighters to why aren't they a Hall of Fame boxer rather than a lot of really good fighters have one good fight. And that's the importance of judging getting it right. That's the importance of staying focused is some guys only have one legendary night in them. And to me, when I look at this, and maybe I'm wrong, I think it was just a case of he just had one night in him and there's nothing wrong with it. But that happens. Well, you look at his career and subsequently he has great victories in his career. And I mentioned it, it doesn't start out great for him. But as time went on, he got better. He, he became the light heavyweight champion of the world. He goes on and fights for the world heavyweight championship of course and the rest is history and that's why we we covered the episode that we did but then you look past the the fight with joe lewis at that point and you think to yourself like okay so you know years pass by when the rematch happens 1946 it's, it's five years he loses in eight rounds he fights only twice after that twice in 1948 and and then he calls time on his career and it, it sounds very sort of straightforward when you put it like that Luke you're like sometimes fighters do only have that that one defining performance and even if it is a losing performance they do have that one defining night in in their career and I'd like to say for from a British perspective there's one fighter that that's screaming out in my mind at the moment who I think had one defining performance in their career albeit a losing one and I think that was that was George Groves versus Cal Froch in their first outing. And, you know, we look back on that fight as a as a wonderful fight, as an amazing fight. 
and a fight which prompted, I think, the the explosion of, of British boxing on, on the world scene because of the fact that George Groves put Carl Froch down in that first fight. He seemingly dominated him. Carl Froch then comes back. He gets a little bit raggedy, George Groves. He gets stopped. People say it was premature. And then ultimately it leads to the, the calls for a rematch to happen because of how good that first fight was. And, th- and that's what it reminds me of. Billy Con's story reminds me a little bit uh, of... of George Groves in that sense where you know Groves was always vying to to eventually go on and win a world title which he did of course he did go and do that subsequently following the Carl Froch defeats but it was that moment in his career I don't think we ever saw Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A better night for George Groves, even though he goes on to become a champion following the defeats to, to Carl Froch. It's crazy to even say it out loud, but I think that's he's one of them examples to me where he had that one absolute defining night and what what he did afterwards was still legacy defining for his career, but it was just that one night against Carl Froch the first time where he absolutely threw everything on the line, didn't come up trumps in that fight, but still was able to go on and achieve something in his career. And I think that's 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 right in what you're saying. There are probably a few other fighters. I mean, is there any fighters you can think of, Luke, at the top of your head where, you know, they're, they're, even if they were if they won the fight, if they lost the fight, where they had those just nights and it was, you always remember them for it. I mean, I can think of a ton because I think that this is how you become a main event fighter. Ruslan Provodnikov against Tim Bradley comes to mind. Then you think about his origin and then you go to Chris Algieri. I don't think many fans can remember another fight besides his dramatic win over Ruslan Provodnikov, but that was such a special moment um, of courage and fighting through adversity that that made Algeria star. Jermall Charlo versus Julian Williams. What else has he done in his career? Not much. I think when you look at every fighter who main events a fight, there's one moment that made you Jaime Munguia last night. He fought Saddam Ali early on, wins a world title, pre, like very young in his career. Oh my God, who is this guy? I think every fighter who main events a card has at least one moment where you go, 
wow, that was legendary. The problem is sometimes we get A-side, B-side fights where guys' legendary moments are so obviously not compatible with the guy they're fighting that um, we we look at it as basically corruption. But to me, the one great night is the rule of becoming a main event fighter. So I suppose the same question applies for Joe Lewis then. You know, going off tangent from the fights with Billy Conn, what is Joe Lewis's defining night? Because there's probably argument over who that victory was over. In my opinion, it was the Max Schmeling rematch in 1938. That, that for me, was Joe Lewis's defining night. It was because it bled outside of the sport and it became more of a, a, a social and a cultural and societal issue because it was like America versus the Nazis at this point in time. That, that victory was so significant for him not just because of that but because he lost in the first fight of course he he gets beat he gets knocked out in 1936 off Max Schmeling then to come back two years down the line and knock him out in the first round when he's got the weight of the world literally on his shoulders I think for me that will always be the Joe Lewis career defining night but some might argue it was this Billy Con fight some might argue it was the night when he first won a world title but for you, what would you say Joe Lewis's career-defining night was? I'm going to give you the classic Beanie Siegel no answer, but I'm going to do it in a really compelling way. So to me, Hall of Fame boxers, one of the ways you are a Hall of Fame boxer to me is you're not defined by one fight. You're defined. So like, think about a guy in the modern era, Nonito Donaire. What's his one moment? No, he's had multiple moments that made us get off of our seat and jump with joy. That's Joe Lewis, Muhammad Ali. I think the a real legend redefines their legacy at some point. And Lewis, he has the Max Schmeling fight, but he redefined who he was for better or worse throughout his career. And to me, that's what a Hall of Fame boxer is, is having a certain trajectory, having adversities, and then redefining legacy based upon that. So that's kind of, I guess to answer your question is part of my barometer of a Hall of Fame boxer is their career can't be summed into one night. You have to look at the body of the work, which then justifies them going into the Hall of Fame. Manny Pacquiao, that's another name that screams out in my head. Like, you're looking at the body of his work and not just certain fights. He had so many, many fights, many, many fights, many moments, moments where you genuinely didn't think he was he was going to win them. And I know people can sit and, scream he never won the biggest fight of his career which was arguably Floyd Mayweather however everything else that he did for me in his career defined him as a fighter it defined him as an overall product of what he was able to achieve in the sport so despite the fact he didn't win the most hyped fight the biggest fight on paper in, in his career everything else that he did in his career was so significant that it actually that that one moment for me, I don't look at it and, and, and say, oh, well, you know, he didn't achieve everything he should have achieved. I actually think he, he achieved so much more. And, I, and the reason I talk about Pacquiao like the way I'm doing is the way you've talked about Joe Lewis's career and how it wasn't just defined in one night and it was defined over a period of, of multiple fights, whether it be for better or for worse, the fact that Joe Lewis was the hottest property in the world at this moment and this period of time during the 1930s and even all the way up to the 1950s. 50s. The fact that he was able to keep that longevity of being a box office draw 
for a long period of time to me just screams out why he was so legendary because it wasn't just about his fights it was everything else that he brought to the table it was it was bringing people and society together in ways that they hadn't been brought together in before before and that that's why I've always really enjoyed looking at Joe Lewis but I can't forget about the other person in this particular tale which is Billy Connon like I didn't really know loads about Billy Con going into this particular episode but what I learned about him is he is one of Pittsburgh's finest sports people that they have they have absolutely ever had and I, I wonder how how he is revered there and how he is celebrated there because I don't live there and I can't sort of speak for for people that live in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania and, and, and anybody around that area but I, I know he must from a boxing perspective he certainly must be revered in in that sense in the same way maybe that Kurt Angle as a as a, an Olympic wrestler and as obviously a WWE sports entertainer became over his career like people are so well revered in that sense so I can't forget about mentioning him and I want to bring that back to yourself and and get your perspective on how you see Billy Conn as as a fighter and 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 the legacy that he's left behind because again I don't think it was just maybe people disagree but I don't think it was just this one fight with Joe Lewis or the two fights with Joe Lewis that really defined him I think the fact that he was really difficult it was really difficult for him in his career at the start the fact that he was able to overcome that and become a light heavyweight champion like the unified recognized light heavyweight champion of the time I think that again comes down to that body of work doesn't it for sure and now you're gonna see the Lukey golf passion. I look at Billy Kahn as a guy like Rocco Mediate. They serve a major purpose in history. Rocco Mediate uh, challenged Tiger Woods in probably one of my favorite United States Open Championships, a major. Battled Tiger Woods valiantly, took him to a playoff, it came down to the last hole, and he loses to Tiger Woods. There's something about someone that seems like the guy next door that does something great that even if they don't win the big moment, it really matters, and it matters a lot. And it's like I think another figure like this is like Chuck Webner, where it's like he didn't quite win the big moment, but it's still friggin' awesome that someone— because I guess what I'm saying is greatness is often not humble. Greatness is also not living next door to you. Greatness is often grandiose and hidden behind TV screens and security. When someone who feels so approachable is doing something great and they get to a place— where they're they're competing with the best of their era, I think the outcome is secondary because I think that it connects with so many people that someone just like themselves, a blue collar person, and I and to make the Rocco Mediate, I think Rocco Mediate's from Pittsburgh, so I think that that kind of ties it in. But that's the way I kind of look at him in sports history: is the outcome is secondary to the accomplishment of overcoming everything he had to overcome. So. Looking at the fight in general, the first fight and the tale of Joe Lewis and Billy Conn, we talked about a little bit earlier, or I mentioned a little bit earlier, about how historians had had seen this fight, how they'd perceived it over time, how they'd you know rated it as one of the very best fights in boxing history. And when I look back on it and I look at the tale, I look at the fight, I look at everything that, that was significant about it, 
I look at it now in a different light and I think to myself, well, it is. It is exactly what the historians said it was. It was one of the great fights of all time that, as time's gone on, has been forgotten about just because time has moved on and different things have happened over the years and the people that are avid supporters of people like Joe Lewis and Billy Conn and all those from that era and, you know, even going into the 50s, 60s and even 70s, as as age is creeping in and generations are passing by, all that's all that's remaining is, of course, people like ourselves who who want to try and keep the memory of these fights alive and these people alive in that sense. And that's a scary thought about life in general. And I'm going away a little bit from the boxing side of things here completely. It's a scary part of life in general is that as, as time moves on, so many things become so lost in time. Like I seen a video quite recently. It says about in a in a hundred years time, you know, the house that you live in will be lived in by somebody else. The, the, the If you have a gravestone in a cemetery, you know, that will probably become completely irrelevant and it'll just be a name and a date of birth and death in a hundred years time and and I think that's what worries me about like the sport in general and, and one of the big passions as to why I love covering fights like this and, and names and biographies of certain fighters is because I do think we need to preserve these types of things so that generations following us can really appreciate the wonders of what we've seen with Joe Lewis and the achievements that we've seen out of Billy Conn. So, yes, Lukey, it is, it is in summary one of those moments in time that I do believe is it should, it should be considered to be one of the greatest fights of all time. But there is that big risk and that big, big unknown element that I've just mentioned there that over time this might be completely forgotten about. That could happen, but like I've spent enough of my life being sad and I've spent enough of my life feeling like I need to try to control things I can't control. I'm now just focused on the here and now and what is in front of me. And I would like to believe that there's going to be OG people like myself that'll carry on Joe Lewis. And there's going to be young people that want to be the truth and to be the truth in boxing or to be someone that loves boxing. A guy like Joe Lewis is timeless. He's never going to go out of style. Everyone's calling me this morning. Like, I've had 15 calls while we've been on this. It's amazing. But um, I think that there's always going to be someone who's willing to learn about um, Joe Lewis. So, though it could be outdated because it's not HD, I think that the greats always have a way of staying great. I think that the people that might disappear would be like the Ezard Charleses, who we don't hear about now. That's probably going to be even harder 100 years from now. I think Joe Lewis has been romanticized enough. It's kind of like Ali. You're never going to, Ali's never, his name's never going to die. Joe Lewis, I don't think his name will ever die. But, but you bring up a good point that it's up to the confidence of certain people to preserve it. Absolutely. And in general, we enjoy covering these types of shows, these conversations, these fires, fires that maybe we ourselves didn't know about. And that's the beauty of the history of this sport. It is about learning. It is about education. And that's what we hope we bring to the table when we produce these episodes and these conversations, these after shows, Lukey, they were, they were a brainchild of just two guys from different parts of the world bringing their own experiences of what they perceive a sport to be or the history of a sport to be and 
And and this is why it is important that if you are a boxing fan and you enjoy the sport, that you make sure that you know you do your best to to preserve it and you pass that knowledge down to people. Like I love to sit and have conversations with people that are younger than me. You no, know, there's a lot of people that want to get involved in in the media side of boxing for better or for worse. And one of the biggest things I always say to them is like, if you want to be involved in 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 that. Don't just be doing it for the here and now. Make sure you you learn your history. Make sure you understand what has come before all these individuals that are here and now because they will have been influenced by certain individuals in time that they would have gone back and watched. And I mean, Mike Tyson, he, he's a prime example of, of someone that even still today, he loves the history of the sport and he absolutely studied it as a child, as a kid growing up and becoming the ferocious boxer that he was of his time like he studied the greats and it's down to to people that love this sport to continue to preserve it so if you've listened to this episode and you think to yourself well you know actually you're probably right there maybe we need to um maybe we need to do a little bit more go and pick up a book from the library go and buy a book from from amazon go on kindle and buy a book however you get them go and get them preserve the history pass the information down it's the whole point of doing these types of episodes it's about leaving that legacy of of certain fights and fighters out there so that they do not forget get forgotten about so with that in mind lukey i'm just going to ask you as i always do at the end of each episode just for a synopsis of of what you would describe to the listeners what this tale would teach them so for me i think the like this is the tale of the good versus the great right? So Joe Lewis is the all-time great, but it's not, there's nothing wrong in being good, right? You hear all these fans going, oh man, he's lost two fights. That really doesn't mean anything, you know? Two fight, two fight, lost fighter. Like me and my buddies will go, oh man, that guy's a good fighter. He's got 24 wins. And people go, oh man, but he has four, like John Ryder. Oh, he's got seven losses. Still a good fighter, bro. He still goes to your gym and he's going to beat up everybody at the gymnasium. I think that the, to just piggyback on what we had said and to say it within our time constraints is simple it's great to learn the history sometimes and your channel does a great job of not doing this but some do mr boxing expert snobby guy which i think is off-putting to some people entering into the boxing space where it's like oh every single person from the 1950s is better than every current fighter so i think that as we contextualize the sport of boxing it's important to make bridges that are rational and not elevate either the past or the present to like these gold standards to try to look at them as one continuum and where do people actually fit and separate our emotions because i think that that's also part of the issue with the learning curve is that you get people kind of feeling like oh man i'm getting picked on because i don't put ezard charles as a top five light heavyweight and some esteemed boxing boxing writer says i'm stupid so i think the big takeaway is to just look up who had the best jabs and go on Wikipedia and read about it. And then from there, watch tape study and stuff. So that's my final thought. And that pretty much brings an end to the episode. As always, Lukey, it's really insightful to get your, your knowledge, your perception and everything that you believe within this sport that, that attributes to what we try to, to do as people that love the sport individually. And if everybody else listening you've enjoyed listening to our conversation then 
you know what to do. Just let us know on social media at Legend Night Pod on Twitter or BTR Boxing Pod or BTR Boxing Pod on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, basically wherever. If you just type it in, we're everywhere, completely everywhere. Same goes for the actual podcasting side of things. If you want to subscribe to us on any of the podcasting platforms, you just type in Legendary Nights Podcast or BTR Boxing Podcast. You'll find us there. Lukey, one more thing from yourself, just to let everybody know where to find you if they want to subscribe to your stuff and listen to the weekly stuff that you do and, of course, all your interviews. Just say the Substack, uh, Lukey Boxing Substack. There's a free version. There's a paid version. The paid version, I try to get you a lot of stuff, but it's mostly if you just think I'm a cool dude and you want to give me a cup of coffee. Um, that's what the subscription is. Twitter, at Lukey Boxing, YouTube channel. Um, just doing a lot of work right now, so I'm not going to plug everything. So, And just big thing, obviously, you're subscribed to this platform if you hear this, but keep supporting my guy, Sean. He puts out great content. So if you like me and you think I'm a cool dude, really support this. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Luke, and thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Legendary Nights After Show, the tale of Joe Lewis and Billy Conn. Oh, wonderful shot by Lennox Lewis. A right hand by Holyfield. By Boston Douglas, look at this. He's knocked by Tyson down for the first time in his career. But unfortunately, it'll never happen. Crunch, punches, and punches, and it's over. I think it's going to be over. A player has been trouble against the ropes. I have to say, there seems an element of genuine hate between these two, Ambrose. For sure. I don't hate the man. Just imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Greg. You can stop it any time. Castillo's in trouble. Weak steps in, and the fight is over. Podcast Network.